2: Everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, make yourself at home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and every single show we have done since 2008, just go to our website and click on subscribe. You'll get your login immediately. And if you want to give your life an upgrade, do the same by going to sanitasradio.com and sample what we have to offer. And if you want to get in touch with me, would like to be a guest on this radio program, or would like to suggest a guest that everyone should listen to, again, go to veritasradio.com and click on the contact button. I'd love to hear from you. And tonight we have a veteran of this radio program. He has been absent for a few years now. Was it a self-imposed retreat, seeking a more hermetic lifestyle while continuing to uncover the secrets being kept secret from all of us? I don't know, but I'm sure he'll tell us. He's known to many of you. For over 30 years, Santos Bonacci has been researching the ancient works compiling and translating them into more accessible terms in his study of astrotheology. Santos lives in Queensland, Australia, where he presents regular seminars and webinars on demand. He also has presented lectures and workshops around the world. He joins us today. Hello, Santos, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you?
0: Very well, thanks, Mel. Um, Thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure to be with you.
2: It's always a pleasure. It's been a few years. Great to have you back. And as I mentioned before we began, I usually have tons and tons of notes before I begin any interview. And my note is empty because I know that a lot has happened with you in the past few years since you were here with us last time. Why don't we begin with, is it a self-imposed retreat? What happened?
0: Um, well, you're talking about the six week stint that they put me in, uh, locked me up in a cage for uh, supposedly "quote unquote" uh, contempt of court.
2: Well, that's one of them. That's one of our. At one point, you actually left social media. You remember that years ago? Yep.
0: Yep, I Let, did. Let's I did. begin with that. Okay. Well, here's my little problem. I uh, <laughs> I'm very aggressive, and I love the truth. And when I discover the truth, I want to let the world know about it. And as you, as you, as you have seen, and so yep. seeing seeing the response to such truth when it is well researched and well presented, and seeing the um, negative uh, response to it in certain cases uh, just fires me up. And so when I'm on social media. I um I do get aggressive and I don't like it. It uh, the aftermath of uh, dealing with um you know, shills and all of these types um is is not p- pleasant. Uh I'll uh, lash out and then suffer afterwards.
2: Well you know it <laughs> comes with the territory, you know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so so I um self imposed a um in my own, you know. Uh, hiatus from such social media, just to protect myself i mean it did it did get me into a lot of trouble i I went to jail two times for for for, for that and um, i 've had uh, a, a lot of fighting, you could say uh, on social media, and it 's taken a lot of my time and it 's been a distraction so i 've come back now recently since october since i 've been releasing um, Geocentric truth to the world, and I've been attacked again, quite viciously, and I didn't really uh, deal with it that well. It's it's it is getting getting better now. Well, that's, that's
2: it. You know, as I call it, the most polarizing subject of all. I think.
0: Yeah, it is. It's um, it's very polarizing because. It has become a religion more than any uh, plain natural science. There is a religious component to the teachings of the cosmology since Copernicus. Um, All of Copernicus's theories have been uh, put on a pedestal. Same with Newton and gravity. So you've got Copernicus and the globe and Newton and the gravity. These have been turned into somewhat of a religion, and people don't realize this. They've been brainwashed, they've been hoodwinked, and there is a religious heir uh, to these teachings. And it's a bit like, you know, you can't speak against the uh, the Holocaust. Let's not, uh, you know, uh, uh, World War II, let's not bring out any truths about what happened to the Germans and and what really, really happened. We've got to be really quiet about that because some people might just get offended.
2: Well, you're not in Europe right now because if you were, you're probably going to be getting a, a knock on your door after what you just said.
0: Yeah, well I've been posting a lot of truths. Hellstorm is one of the videos I've been posting. Um True. Hitler, the um greatest story never, never told. told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what we need to do is um amplify JFK's words, who said that one day Hitler will be known as rather a heroic figure. For what he did in the world and what he tried to do, same as j f k tried to do the same thing against the uh rothschild vatican owned uh fiat currency system that is enslaving humanity. they were both heroic, and um the world needs to know it, and they 'll know it from me
2: well, you know what you just said, a lot of people when I mean, those are truths that a lot of people don't want to even believe or even entertain. Why do you think that is? People get angriest, you know, when their beliefs are challenged. And that that could be the the geocentric model. That could be what happened during World War II, what happened, you know, with Hitler and so on.
0: Yeah, the reason being is because of the indoctrination. People pay a lot of money to go to these uh, buffoon schools that the state has set up, even the private schools. They are all controlled, contrived, and um, what they teach is demonic pseudoscience. Basically, I have an expression for this, it's... um, uh, hocus-pocus, honky-shonky-wonky, dodgy-bodgy-bogus pseudoscience. That's all you get at school. You pay a lot for it. You don't get any intelligence. You get education. Um, Intelligence is suspended. People are forced into a situation of cognitive dissonance because their senses and their heart and their already accumulated knowledge uh, base tells them differently, but they have to suspend this and believe in the hocus pocus uh, gravity globe, and all of these other lies about world war II. Um and so people buy that uh, literally pardon the punt <laughs> they they pay for that uh, indoctrination, and they are none the wiser they 've been uh, stupefied, their intelligence has been put on 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 uh, suspense and they are forced to uh, gullibly uh, accept all of this hocus-pocus nonsense, and they believe it. And so when you challenge that, um, you know, they get offended, of course, because they paid all this money for nothing. It's very sad.
2: You know, we've had Jews 2011, 2012, I think it was, the last time we had you on, I believe. And back then we were discussing syncretism, uh, hermeticism, and and astrotheology. So I'm curious, is now you're talking about the flat... Earth, which I know, it happened to you. It happened to me. It happened to everybody out there who's discussing this. We ridiculed it in silence. Then we started researching, and the more we try to debunk it, the more we go back to it. My question to you is: When did you notice that there was something to it? Because you know, when I interviewed you, we never discussed this at all. Back then, did you discuss this at least internally with you within your own self?
0: Yeah, I was um, looking at the subject, of course, because my history goes back as a Jehovah's Witness to my early teens uh, when I first started knocking on people's doors. Back then, I was a very inquisitive type. Uh, I'd already had many, many years of study as a little child, being brought up as a Jehovah's Witness. We studied the Book of Revelation and all of these exotic uh, books and literature Uh, The two Babylons was one. I remember being very, very small, probably five, six, seven years of age, and it used to scare me. We used to talk about all the the beasts of revelation at the uh, book study of the Jehovah's Witnesses every week. And of course, uh, my mother used to study with us as children, paradise lost, paradise, paradise regained, from um, one of the Jehovah's Witnesses publications, uh, based on Milton's John Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, the concept of the fact that we lost paradise and how do we get back to it? Um, and so, in my early teens, it was uh, 1983. I remember clearly that I was making inquiries as to lost civilizations, and I bought a book called. Uh, went to the library and bought a uh, got a book called. Um, C- um, uh, The Secret of Lost Civilizations by Reen Norbergen. And uh, in there it showed that um, many, many lost civilizations post and pre-flood occurred on this plane. And then uh, I was directed to another book called The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. And that's where I cut my teeth because that book intrigued me. It showed me all the... um, Connections in languages of all the gods, and so Set became Shem of the Bible, and then Seth and uh, Saturn, and and all of these gods were interrelated linguistically. And so this intrigued me. Being a linguist, I was brought up with Italian or Calabrese, a dialect of Italian and English. So already I had language skills, and I was learning Spanish and French and Portuguese at that time. So all of this set me on the path. Of course, I knew about the flat earth and I laughed about the flat earth, the, um, the ancient cosmology of geocentrism. And when did I stop laughing is the question because I've known about it all my life to answer the uh, question from many people who ask me, oh, why did you jump ship and, and, and how long have you – surely it's only been a couple of weeks that you've decided that we don't live on a, on a globe. And I said, my answer is now I've known about um, the true cosmology all my life. And in fact, in 2010 when I started making uh, syncretism and holy science presentations, I knew very, very well that um, – we'll get rid of that person ringing me um, – that the ancients believed in the, uh, the flat disk uh, cosmology. And so I probably stopped laughing a couple of years ago, Mel. Um, the videos kept coming. The good people out there kept uh, bombarding me with uh, literature and um, evidence saying, Santos, you're just making a fool of yourself with the uh, heliocentric model. It doesn't work. It is wrong, it's manipulated, it's contrived, it's erroneous. You need to go back to your, your texts and see that it's geocentric and everything else will work better. It will all work better. And so one after the other, I kept watching videos and I did start speaking about Flat Earth at the start of last year. And a lot of people did not pay attention because I did it subtly, so as not to uh i guess to shock them and then in was June, it
2: was it because such a preponderance of people were now discussing it and you felt safe to come out
0: yeah well i had to i had to research it properly because I had to merge this with with all the material that I had published on on syncretism, the sine wave. Uh, astrology and everything, so I wanted to know as much as possible correctly before um, I was able to draw graphs and and show people how I normally do, how to transition from one model to the other, And and, and as I realized that it was easier than I thought, it was just so easy, in fact, I have to do nothing. There's nothing I need to do except to remind people that when they watch my presentations and clearly I base it on the heliocentric model, all you have to do is just remove the earth from that model, basically, and change your perspective. And that perspective is, see, the earth does not really figure into my presentations as much as people think it does. Um It matters not whether the Earth is flat, circular, globular, or whatever. Because everything I've done, luckily, very, very fortunately, is based on the ecliptic, the sine wave or the path of the sun and what the sun does. And the planets are doing something similar to the sun, so they just get carried along with that. But all you need to do is focus on the sine wave, and that sine wave is produced by the sun as it as it goes from the Tropic of cancer to the Tropic of Capricorn year in year out it um it polarizes its um its energies um, gives us the longest day of the year in uh june twenty first cancer and the shortest day of the year. On December the 21st, Capricorn. Capricorn. Yeah. And in between, you've got the autumnal and vernal equinoxes. And this is all you need. This is the key to understanding all of the ancient religions, sciences, mythologies, cosmologies. Um, with this, you can understand alchemy, chemistry, physics, religion. All the sciences are pinned To this wave, this beautiful wave. It's a thought wave universe and these little waves, large waves, small waves, whatever kind of waves, they are all doing the same thing. They all have equinoxes, they all have wave amplitudes and to varying degrees, and sound, light, energy, vibration, it's all doing the same thing. And it can be explained with one wave.
2: So if the Earth since you're talking about the constellations and the zodiac and so on if the earth is spinning around the sun and the sun is hurling through space at what what is it 67,000 miles per hour then how come the constellations have not changed ever since man has been observing and recording their sightings on, on space in thousands of years
0: exactly so basically they teach us we have four motions um, a rev. Uh, rotation which is a thousand miles an hour over a thousand miles an hour which is over the speed of sound daily we have a yearly orbit sixty seven thousand miles an hour which you just mentioned then we have a um, another motion whereby all of our solar system is moving at five hundred and fifty thousand miles an hour around a galactic center and we have <clears throat> Another motion of, gee, I think it's about a million miles an hour or more um, as the whole galaxy is moving through space. So when you factor in all of these um, four movements, motions, we are actually traveling one billion miles a year. (laughs) So... so With 1 billion miles every year, now I've done 52 billion miles in my life because I'm 52 years old, and I have not seen a change whatsoever in any of the constellations in all of my life. Not even one minute or one second of degree of arc of parallax have I witnessed in any of the constellations? So Taurus is still the same, and yet they tell you that Betelgeuse is billions of light years further than, than Aldebaran, the eye of the, um, the bull, and, and Betelgeuse in Orion is the, the, the differential of distance there. By the Should way, de- I'm,
2: I'm losing your voice. I'm not sure if you have any apps open, or we're just losing bandwidth.
0: Okay, let's have a look. Um, I can close a few things if that's going to
2: help. Please. Uh,
0: Yeah, well, okay. I'm about as closed up as I can now, so let's see how that goes. All right. And so it's funny that uh, we always see the same stars in the sky. We don't see any change in the stars as we travel billions and billions of miles. Well, what this indicates, Mel, is that – We are not moving, as they say. We live on terra firma, and above us is a firmament. So we've got all this firm stuff going on around us, a firmament above and terra firma below. And so what this shows clearly, clearly, just this one example that. Whatever is above us, a firmament, a vault, a dome, whatever kind of structure that holds those stars and all of the uh, visible planets are moving and not we. Clearly, this is one evidence that, that will appeal to the, um, the ones who still have their thinking faculties activated and alive and well and who have not suspended them and who know how to think things through, all they need to do is think about these four notions. The supposed rotation, the supposed orbit, the supposed flinging from a galactic center at 550 million miles <laughs> an hour. Um, all of these, when you put all of these together, we should be seeing different stars every minute of the, of the day, and yet we don't. The dome or the vault of starry heavens above us is always the same. No parallax, parallax. no apparent motion, star against star. They are always in the same relative positions, no relative motion, no apparent motion. And so this clearly, clearly, clearly indicates to the good-hearted and very intelligent ones out there that we are not moving on the earth and that the starry vault above us is in fact moving and um we can go into other uh
2: let's say let's stay with the firmament for a moment or the sky the blue quote unquote blue sky that we see what is it then is it a projection screen is it a large planetarium and also as of today as at the time of of recording of this interview i see that we have Five planets align Mercury, Venus, Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter. That's what we're told. How does that affect the flat Earth model?
0: Yeah, well, wherever you are on the planet net, uh, for instance, I had sunrise two, about two hours ago. Um, the sun rises, appears to rise, that is, uh, about two years, ago, uh, two hours ago, here in Queensland, five a.m. Usually, you see the um, the sun, and <clears throat> this is a a strong angle. In uh, astrology, this is called the rising sign. This is the sun rising, or any planet that is appearing over the horizon. This is the strongest of all the angles, and so. When two or more planets rise at the same time and square off with another planet, which is called a 90-degree angle, this aspect is very, very powerful. So what, I, um, what you are referring to with all of these alignments, alignments are nothing but uh, planets um, squaring off at 90 degrees or 180 degrees along the ecliptic. So astrologers know that these configurations cause um, certain energies on our planet. And so what will happen is um, all kinds of phenomena, whether they are psychic or physical, such as earthquakes, flooding, um, tides, uh, psychic effects will be um, animals behaving strangely, uh, humans fighting or um, arguing And so what, what astrologers have noticed Because these are ones who spend time observing these angles And, and what they've what they noticed is that these stars These wandering stars Are nothing but intense, luminous and sonic energy They are not terrestrial bodies. They have spiritual or non-physical form. Their form is luminous. So this is why we can see them. People argue that because we can see them, they must be physical. No, 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 no. Uh, Light, fire is, um, is visible and light is visible and it has no physicality at all whatsoever. Electrons are not particles. There's, <laughs> there's no particles uh, in existence. They are all um, luminous waves. And so when Jupiter, for instance, squares off with the sun, let's say that Jupiter is, Jupiter is in, um, uh, let's say, Virgo and at the moment and the sun is in Capricorn. Well, this is a, a very benefic aspect. Astronomers, both astronomers and astrologers, are well aware of is that these beautiful, luminous, powerful spheres, so called spheres in the sky, Jupiter, Saturn, etc., they move and position themselves in such a way to change all the weather on, on our plane, all the psychic activity, spiritual, physical, mental emotional all of these are changed constantly constantly on our plane due to the influence of these sonic luminous bodies now i have i've had have had a look at the configuration you're speaking about many astrologers have been pointing to a to a massive um, alignment today the 20 20th, 20th of january but right. um, but um, I've had a look at it, and it's not very impressive to me. It's, certainly it's there. Mercury is retrograding. Um, but it's a very, very soft um, alignment. I don't, um, I don't see it as threatening in any way at all. And yes, it will, um, it will uh, open up some, some portals, and it will uh, create um, certain kinds of activity on this plane. And uh, I can speak at length about that. There's no end of of discussing all of these configurations. But the point is this, Mel, that morning energy wherever you are on the planet is very influential. That energy is very, very powerful, and it's contrasted by the energy at midday, for instance, and also the energy at sunset and midnight. These are the four angular positions of the sun, wherever you may be. These are the four important angles. They generate the most energy and the most influence on the plane. And so they are to be respected and considered more so than any other angle. And um, and so when there are uh, aspects based on these angles, Uh, Certain things occur on the planet and um, they are, first of all, we must understand that they are not rocks flying in space. Often I get attacked by uh, ignoramus types saying, oh, hocus pocus astrology, you know, how can rocks flying in space have, you know, any influence at all over us? Well, first of all, they are intelligent beings. The sun is an intelligent being, far far far, far greater in body and form than, than, than us. Um, and the name of the sun in uh, many languages, or let's, let's um, give the Sanskrit name, shall we? Um, Vivasvan, Vivasvan or Surya. Surya is um, one of the names of the sun. And of course, Krishna in Bhagavad Gita instructs the sun in all that it should do. And so the sun is a being that has been instructed by the primal creator, Krishna. And it knows its course. In Psalm 19 verse 3, the Bible says that the sun, that, that, that God the creator has made a tent, a canopy, a tabernacle for the sun. And it has set its path and trajectory so that it shall not waver nor shall it totter. And the sun knows its course. It is like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. You see, these are things that we will not learn in our paid-for universities, that the sun is like a a uh, a glass reflector, and it is in a chamber. It is surrounded by its own chamber, a luminous chamber, which we do not know much about. And so... This is why we can get um rainbows and and sun dogs and reflections of the sun because it's not just a you know <laughs> a hydrogen helium um nucleic kind of uh, a, an explosive bomb <laughs> as they describe to us it's a reflective body and it um reflects light from a magnetic center from the North Pole, what we call the North Pole. There is a mountain there which um, uh, which gyrosco- uh, gyroscopically controls the sun as it turns over our head. And you can clearly see that the sun is actually turning and arcing over our heads, something which we would not be able to <laughs> um, see on a ball. We wouldn't see this beautiful curvature of the sun as it curves and arcs through the sky, as it turns daily above our heads. So um, these are intelligent beings, um, Mel. What's
2: the correlation between, let's let's say, within the flat Earth mo- model for a moment here? Do you think the sun? I mean, we are told now that it's about three thousand miles away, same size as the moon. Does it reside within the firmament? or beyond the dome, if you will?
0: Um, Within. The sun belongs to what's called the luminous heaven, and it's the middle heaven of all the heavens. There are seven heavens. And so immediately above us is the airy heaven, where the atmosphere is contained and all the air. Above that is called the cloudy heaven, And then above that is the etheric heaven where thunder occurs. And then the fourth heaven is the luminous heaven. And in that heaven are seven luminous bodies called the planets, the planets. And so... They are, they're not terrestrial, none of them. You can't, astronauts cannot, cannot go there with space suits and, and, uh, you know. I'd you like know. to
2: explore this later, you know, the astronauts and, and propulsion happening in a vacuum. Well, we'll talk about that later.
1: Yeah, it's very
0: funny. They've shot themselves in the foot many, many times with er- erroneous models of the 60s we now we uh, we've grown up really and technology has this is why they can't you know go back to the moon since 72 why because <laughs> because every day technology um is being invented invented and implemented which which Proves and shows clearly to thinking people that uh, that uh, the (laughs) propulsion technology that they used back then is just erroneous and it's absolutely a fraud. And so, you know, they can't um, they can't show that they're going to these uh, non-terrestrial bodies because they know they can't. And so, they tried to trick humanity back then, but now they're being they've been caught out because they've been exposed it's like you know um there's enough evidence that Santa Claus doesn't exist isn't there <laughs> just sheer intelligence and so it's best that they don't talk about it or um bring it up because the more they do the more they look funny and so in this luminous heaven there are seven luminous demigods and vivasvan is the sun in the uh Christian scriptures. This one's called Jesus. Jesus, the sun God. Now, I've presented enough about this in my presentations and annoyed and tormented many literalist Christians who want a mundane Jesus man God on the earth, you know, someone who literally lived. Well, nowhere in my work do I discount, you know, a an ascended, illuminated Jesus type uh, man who may have been a quote-unquote saviour, but definitely 100% you will not find that Jesus in the Bible. And the Jesus of the Bible is the Son. It is the Son, it always will be. It never was anything else, it never will be anything else. The sun is an intelligent archangel, Michael, and intelligently it gives us food and life, and it animates and feeds our soul and spirit. It is the life giver, it is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the risen Savior, and it rises every day to bless us with beautiful nutrients and light and to give us. Um, wonderful experiences of music and joy and bliss. And this is Jesus. It is not the only archetype of Jesus. You see, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because it is the Father who has placed the Son in the heavens that must be, uh, worshipped. This is the, the root cause of all causes. And this being is also intelligent. The Neoplatonists um, of the Western school, they have described this being as beyond mind, <clears throat> and they call this God, the prime creator, they call this one the one, the beautiful, and the good. And this is the Holy Trinity because this one is one, and this one is beautiful beyond comparison. And it is good. Good and God are interchangeable words. And so when we contemplate our cosmos, our universe, we see a beautiful luminous body called the sun, S-U-N. And this sun is also the S-O-N of God, the son of God. And and so the father is represented in the dome or the vault of the heaven. The Son is the s u n so we have the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the is the light, the energy the vibration which comes from both of these the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit is is the sound, the Word of God that was was God and was with God of John one one and this spirit <clears throat> is what animates our body. It's the breath that we breathe with and that we speak with. You see, the, the ancient Egyptians, they said that the mother, Isis, is the lungs. The wings of the lungs are the wings of Isis. And the larynx is Osiris, her consort. And the vocal cords through which we speak, this is Horus. So we have Isis, Osiris, and Horus inside of our bodies. And so when we speak, we are speaking with the word of God and we are creating with our words. Words are worlds. To make a world, you just put an L in the word word. And so when the scriptures say that the word made the world, the world was made by the word, the Logos the Astra logos, astrology. Then we begin to see that the word or sound is produced by these beautiful luminous objects which are existing in the luminous heavens. Above the luminous heaven is what's called the starry heaven. This is the fifth sphere or the eighth sphere. Uh, sorry, the fifth heaven or the eighth sphere. And so in this heaven um, is the grandfather of all the luminous bodies, and the grandfather is called Uranus. Uranus is the ruler of the starry heavens, where all the stars are, the zodiac stars, uh, the 48 original constellations, 12 plus 36 make 48, so you have the 12 zodiac belt along the ecliptic, and then you have the 36 uh, extra zodiacal deaconal signs, which make up 48 constellations. And what these make up, Mel, these 36 constellations together with the 12, they make up the circuitry of the starry heaven. So when you're looking up the stars, all you're looking at is luminous, sonic, sacred, geometric Cells, cells in the body mind of God. And so these intelligent beings are forever emanating energy directed at us, at this plane, at this stage that Shakespeare described. The world is a stage. And it's a light show. And this eighth sphere, is what we call the firmament. And so the seven luminous bodies which we can see exist under this firmament, whatever it is, whatever the firmament may be, it is firm. And the stars do not move. They keep their position, as the scriptures say. The stars keep their position, and they honor God, the Creator, by maintaining their positions. The scriptures do talk about stars that have fallen who have not maintained their original positions. We'll get to that later. But above this firmament is the crystalline sea. This is the ninth sphere and the sixth heaven. It's called the crystalline heaven. And St. John, he actually saw this heaven with his own eyes, and he called it in Revelation, the book of Revelation, he said, This is the starry, of the uh, crystalline sea that I saw before the throne of God. And the throne of God that he saw is the primum mobile, the tenth sphere. And in the Jewish Kabbalistic system, they call these spheres sephiroth, sephiroth, sphere, same word. And there are ten of them, and they are like concentric rings surrounding our planet. And then beyond the primum mobile, the first mo- mobile movement or motion, contrary to which all the other spheres move against, is the Empyrean heaven, the seventh heaven. And the Empyrean, inside the word imperium is hiding the word pyr, pyros, like as in Pyro, um, fire, purge, pure purify, pyromaniac, fire, all of these words, pyramid.
2: I was going to say, what about pyramid?
0: That's right, the fire in the middle. And so this fiery heaven is our true, true dwelling place in our everlasting, unconditioned existence. So you, Mel Fabergas, and me, Santos Bonacci, we are here having a little chit-chat in our temporal-conditioned bodies. So we live in a temporal plane, and the ruler of this temporal plane is old man Tempo himself, Saturn. Kronos, chronology, temple, time, tempo, all of the words having to do with time, they all go back to Saturn. Saturn is Satan, and Satan is the ruler of this world. This is not evil talk here. This is just science, transcendental science. And so Timmy, time, Saturn, Satan, the ruler of this temporal conditioned place. Cronos, Cronos, chronology. He has um, authority over us. And he is the main archetype of this kind of temporal existence. And so you and I, we have a physical form which is conditioned by these seven luminous bodies. And they are physical. They are controllers of the physical octave, the septenary of our bodies. Our bodies are a septenary. Everything in our body is done in sevens. There are seven chakras. There are seven consciousness centers in the brain, there are seven cavities in the heart, there are seven vital organs, and they have an interplay, a dance, so to speak, with the 12 mental forces of the zodiac, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Carrarius, Pisces, all in that order. And as the seven physical forces, Dynamics, active dynamics of the solar system interplay with the 12 mental spiritual bodies, gods, the 12 suns, central suns of the ecliptic. What happens is um, we see all the different forms and shapes of human beings produced by the interchange of activity between these seven, this octave physical bodies or physical energies, rather, being um, spiritual in source themselves and the 12 um, different energies of the zodiac. And all astrologers know that this is how all the kinds, different kinds of genres and species of life and all the differences in them, Produced.
2: You know, I have to ask you this because when I think of Horus, Isis, and so on, and we moved that to Jesus and, and Mary, then we can do the same thing with the planets. You know, don't we have first the Hindu gods being the planets, you know, Sun, as you mentioned, Surya, Mercury, Buddha, Venus, Shukra, and we can go on and on and on. And then the Greeks came along, and then we have the Sun. You know, ancient Greeks call it uh, Apollo, then Helios. And then we have the same thing, Mercury, Hermes, Venus, Aphrodite, and all those gods. And then we have the Romans. And that's exactly where we are today, with the exception of one planet. Uranus was called Calus. That is the only planet that had a different name. Tell me more about that transition in names as it relates to what we're talking about.
0: Yes, well, the thing with these changes in names is that nothing changes toward the archetype. The archetypes are always there. They can never and never will be removed. This world, this physical world, is produced by this interplay of of the seven and the twelve, the seven Olympian gods and the twelve titans, and they are always fighting against each other, and... And their wheels are turning their spheres are turning against each other and grinding and abrasion is is occurring and all of this friction is producing marvelous, marvelous physical and spiritual forms everywhere you go where these mechanisms are working, This this kind of a, a, a spiritual astrolab, if you if you wish, if you like. And so the Greeks call this one Kronos. The Latins call this, one's, this one Saturn. But the names, although they have changed, they are still carrying the same meaning. And the archetype is preserved, the energy of the archetype and the meaning of the archetype. And so when I say that Jesus is the son, this is not blasphemous. You see, i would be stoned to death if I, was, if I said this in a, in a Baptist assembly or a Jehovah's Witness assembly. They would excommunicate me um promptly. But see, they have been compartmentalized and they've been educated to understand um Jesus in a certain way. They their minds are materialist. They they still haven't spiritualized their minds. So the model that is taught to them must be mundane. Because they cannot grasp Jesus the truth they are not ready for the truth and all all churchgoers are not ready for all the esoteric truth that is in their scriptures and this is why they are given mundane literal historical models because they are not ready for the meat of the word they are still uh, dabbling in the milk of the word this is why saint paul said oh, oh hebrews you know what um I cannot, I cannot converse with you about the deep things of the Lord, for you are still babes, and you are still dealing in the primary doctrines of the Lord, and what those are, are the literal anthropomorphic um, components of astrotheology. They they cannot be introduced to the truth that Jesus is is the being that is in the Sun, Vivasvan, the Life Giver.
2: Is this why That's... the knowledge has been distilled to the point that, you know, I think of Frederick Douglas when he said, knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. If you distill the truth, as you say, is it so that it can make it more digestible to the common man?
0: Yes. If, if you started tell, telling a little three-year-old child that Santa Claus isn't that man, it's not, you know, a, a, a physical... <laughs> man, and, and you start telling them the true story of Santa Claus, which is the- Created
2: by Coca-Cola. I'm not talking about St. Nicholas. I'm talking about Santa Claus, the fat red-dressed man.
0: Exactly, exactly. This is all part of, you know, we can find different kinds of Santa Claus in many different um, Nordic um, Scandinavian mythologies and 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 everywhere we can find uh stories about Santa Claus, but the true story is the story that is the story within about the Santa claustrum, which is part of our body. now, the holy claustrum is a little um cloister or closet type structure just under the cerebrum um, in our cranium and and this is where all of the secretions. The sacred cerebrospinal fluids begin their path in the body and they must travel through all of the vagus pneumogastric nervous system to feed all the vital organs. And this oil has a very, very beautiful Christic story. This is the Christ within of Colossians one twenty seven twenty eight, where the Apostle Paul said, the sacred secret of the Christ that dwells in you. Well, it's the story of Santa Claus. Christ and Santa Claus are one and the same. See, the claustrum is in the North Pole, which is in the cranium, and Santa Claus secretes or descends the chimney, which is the spinal column, um, daily, and it brings oils to the sacrum, which is the sacred part of your body below, which is the... um. The five fused bones of the vertebrae, and this is a pump and this pump actually pumps the the crystic chrism oil in the greek system the the cerebrospinal oils are called chrism the bread of life the fish smells like fish smells like tastes like salt. this is the salt that preserves you are the salt of the earth, and so When this salt, this chrism, this bread is elevated in the body by this beautiful sacral pump, then Santa Claus returns back to the North Pole. But he always brings presents. And see, the Christmas tree is just your body. It's the the 33 bones of the vertebrae and, and the beautiful story of how when you ascend this beautiful chrism back to the cranium, your Christmas tree now gets lit up. And so if you're going to start talking to an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old child about this story, you're going to um, potentially um, interfere with the childlike model of a physical Santa Claus, which is basically a lie, but a necessary lie to be able to... Um, you know, s- soften the blow of these magnificent truths so that when children are taught the, the false model of the literal Santa Claus and how he descends chimneys and brings presents and pops them under the Christmas tree, now the children have a crystallized um, story and this will always go with them for the rest of their life. And then, of course, at the age of 12, we are supposed to introduce the true story of Santa Claus and to expand their consciousness. And this expansion is what brings them into maturity and helps them to grow. So they go from the Heilic level of literalism and they are introduced to the allegoric Level And in the Jewish system, there are four levels. And the four levels correspond to the word paradise. There are four consonants in the word paradise, P, R, D, S. And so the first level taught to children in the Jewish system is Pradesh. And then they learn, that's the letter P. And then they learn Remez. And then they learned Drash, Midrash which is allegory, and then they go to the final level, which you learn at the age of 40, and this is called Sud, S-U-D, S-O-D, S-U-D-S-O-D. and this is the mystical level. And so the child grows from Santa Claus the literal to Santa Claus the literary. And so what happens then is the eyes of the individual are opened and they begin to see not the exoteric, literal truth they begin to see the literary esoteric truth and they are initiated in the true mystical science and this is what the mystery schools are protecting they are protecting this true doctrine the lit the literary and so what happens then is that individuals begin to see that their churches Stepping stones, like a tunnel. You don't go into a tunnel to stay inside the tunnel. You go in so that you can get out. <laughs> and so churches are like tunnels. You enter them, and you you leave them. When you enter them, you learn all the liter- literal doctrines, and so you learn the stories, and you are indoctrinated.
2: Then, when you open
0: your eyes,
2: yeah, you leave the church, but your mind—they want your mind to stay there and not. Get outside of their proverbial box, if you know what I mean.
0: Well, some minds are not able to, through sheer lack of force, are not able to leave those churches. And they remain there trapped. And what happens is, until such time as they grow the force of their mind and their intelligence, and exercise their intelligence and grow their mind power, they will not leave those churches. And they will be forced to reincarnate back and back. This is why churches are so, so uh, eager to keep people in their churches. They want to, at all costs, keep them there. Oh, we are the Jehovah's Witnesses. Only we have the truth. The Baptists serve Satan, the devil, and will go off into everlasting perdition. It's True, they will, <laughs> and the, and the Mormons, the morons, and the Seventh Day Adventists, <laughs> and all of them, they will all, they will all return back to church land to be indoctrinated again and again, if they remain in those churches. Best thing they can ever do is leave the churches, but not in bitterness, not you know, as some people do. Oh, I used to be a churchgoer. Now I'm a proud atheist. <laughs> well that's you know jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. You know, if you're going to leave the churches you must leave with many 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 treasures. I bless the Jehovah's Witnesses and I thank them from the bottom of my heart for all the stories and indoctrinations that they gave me. Because I applied my own intelligence and now I have more than what they ever gave me. I have billions and billions and trillions of times more than what they ever gave me. And I thank them for what they gave me because what they gave me was true.
2: When I look at Christianity, Santos, and I I see that let go your ego is one of their foundations, but then I see there are 33,000 plus Christian denominations. What does that tell you? 33,000 denominations of people Whose ego tells them, not only is my God better than the Jewish God or the Islamic God, but within its own Christianity, they have to step outside their own and create thirty-three thousand plus sects to say my God is better than than yours.
0: That's true. I mean, I, I, um, it's quite easy to um, to show clearly, clearly that they're all wrong, and yet. They're all right in the sense that the function that they are performing, it's like, can a butterfly complain that it was once trapped in a cocoon? I don't think so. If the butterfly could rationalize its experience of metamorphosis into a butterfly from grub, it would be thankful of the time that it spent in that cocoon because it was necessary. And so, yes, they are all wrong because the model that they are using is erroneous from our perspective because we are enlightened. And so from our perspective, what they're teaching is all wrong. But but you see, how you can show that they are all wrong is by using their own words. All you have to do is just uh, go to the pastor of the Baptist church and ask him the question, are the Seventh-day Adventists and all the other churches outside of your church erroneous and going to hell, and he will tell you yes. Then all you've got to do is go over the road to the Seventh-day Adventist church and ask him, the pastor, whether the pastor of the Baptists over the road is wrong and going to hell and erroneous and deceiving the rest of mankind, and he will say yes. So it's easy. Just two questions and you've covered all the churches. They're all wrong. Just ask them. All you have to do is go to them and ask them whether they are all wrong, and they will tell you honestly and frankly that they are all worshippers of Satan and not Christians at all and going to hell. And so that sorts out the churches. So wise is the one who comes out of those churches with much, a treasure of, uh, a chest full of treasure, you know, denarii. You see, this is why Jesus says um, the king He had three slaves, and he gave one one denarii, and the other one two and the other one five. And he said, Look after these and I'm going off and in a year's time I'll be back. And so two of them, the evil slaves, they buried their denarii, and they thought, Oh God, this exacting master, he's gonna come back and he'll want that money, he'll want it for sure. I can't go spending that, no, no, no. I'll just I'll just be lazy and put it away and then when he comes back he can have his money back. But the smart one who had five, he went and invested it with the banks and so now he's got ten. And so the Lord returns and he uh, uh, calls his slaves one by one. Where's my money? And the first one says, well, here, I buried it and, you know, you can have it back. And Jesus says, well, didn't you put it to work? Didn't you? Uh, And so basically this is showing that we've all, we all have all the principles of the universe embedded in our soul. You know, we are encoded with, we are blessed with love.
2: And, and well, let me stop you right there because we have to separate both parts. When, when we come back, we're going to discuss so much more. But do, in case people are wondering, we had that little discussion about Santa Claus. Santa Claus, You know, in case people wonder, where does it actually come from? The actual Santa Claus that we see today it was Coca-Cola in 1930 or 31, they commissioned the Darcy Advertising Agency, who in turn went to a Michigan-born illustrator Haddon Sunblum, who developed the advertising using that Santa Claus, and his inspiration came from Clement Clark Moore's 1822 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, and that's exactly... The Santa Claus we see today. So if you try to go back before 1930, you'll never be able to find Santa Claus. So, you know, in the future, when you have to tell your kids a true story, well, give them the, the complete story. And also, I want to discuss when we come back, this is something that even people who believe that we went to the moon cannot explain. Propulsion. How in the world do you have propulsion in a vacuum? If you and are I are swimming, we're actually swimming against the water, H2O, or even, you know, planes, they have to have air, which behaves like water in a way. But if it's in a vacuum, there's no way you can move by pushing. You need a you need a force to push against. Also, those people who have continue to write to me all the time saying, Mel, please stop saying that we didn't go to the moon. Well, then prove it to me. When I look at that lunar module, the engine alone is 10,000 Pounds, And when you see the images and you see undisturbed soil right in those four legs, yet Buzz Aldrin's footprint shows right next to it. And you see almost construction paper around that module. Please, please. I'm not that stupid. And I know those of you who are listening are not either. But a lot of this when we come back. Santos, how can people learn more about you? Do you still have the same website?
0: Uh, yeah. Universal Truth School Dot com, universaltruthschool.com and Mr. Astro Theology YouTube site.
2: Good, so you kept both the same. Excellent. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with my friend Santos Monacci directly from Australia. Much more truth to uncover we return. This is Mel Fabregas and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, Go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members or Subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products, supplements, a USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, fulvic acid, full body vibration machines and much more. Now we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Very Test Member section. Enjoy.
1: Don't know